0: Welcome to Radio Free Rabbi with Rabbi Joshua Aronson of Temple Judea in Tarzana, California. Hello, this is Radio Free Rabbi coming to you from the City of Angels, Los Angeles. I'm Josh Aronson, Rabbi here in Los Angeles. I talk about all things Jewish, which is really all things. Topic number one wonderful why no the big sound in the big town hey why no time bing bong five minutes past the big hour of five o'clock for those of you who remember that's from george carlin's seminal comedy album amfm that was a bit he perfected over the course of time and ultimately put on that i believe grammy award-winning comedy album he released two albums in like 72, 73 in the early part of the 70s, AMFM and Class Clown. George Carlin was my favorite comedian of all time and I want to talk a little bit about that because that's a little bit of a dissonance given that I'm a Jewish boy from Philly, kind of raised in the borscht belt sensibility and yet George Carlin an Irish Catholic boy Uh, becomes my favorite comedian. And I want to talk a little bit about why, which will then throw us into topic two. So the reason George is my favorite comedian, you know, I started watching him when I was a kid on late night TV. He was the first kind of guy that really popped out at me. I was allowed to stay up late at night, 1130 East Coast time to watch Carson. And he started appearing in a suit, kind of the button-down, traditional comedic look. He had made a bit of a name for himself in uh, Burns and Carlin and um, with his partner Jack Burns. Uh, I think Jack Burns actually just passed away earlier this year, unfortunately. Um, And he had a little bit of an epiphany. He had a little bit of a change and he became counterculture in the late 60s, early 70s which led to AMFM and Class Clown and ultimately the George Carlin that most of us really know and really embrace. George actually took a significant pay cut in order to go countercultural. At the height of his career, kind of in the suit era, which we'll call the suit era, George was making, at the time, $250,000 a year or more, and that was a significant amount of money, of course. Uh, still is a significant amount of money um but he began to embrace this countercultural persona um really because of his critique in large part of the Vietnam war he also um got into some drugs uh marijuana um some other things uh more serious um and he uh Uh, ultimately changed his outfit and began appearing in jeans, began appearing in kind of uh, 60s-ish shirts, uh, you know, peasant shirts. And uh, that's how he began to develop uh, his persona that emerged on AM, FM, and Class Clown. And um, one of the things about George Carlin that to me really stuck out was this. He became influenced by Lenny Bruce, of course, a Jewish comic, and Mort Sahl, another Jewish comic, who really honed and kind of were the first on the scene with a social satirical kind of comedy. Uh, in the case of Lenny Bruce, it was very harsh and um, really, in many cases, mean-spirited and uh, Mort Sahl a little more sophisticated and a little bit more nuanced. But be that as it may, what George Carlin did that I found so appealing was... You never lost sight of Carlin's humanity when you listened to him, and you never got the impression, even when he was critiquing the Vietnam War, that he was anti-American. He was anti-Vietnam War, but it was pretty clear that George Carlin loved America and loved all that it stood for, and from his point of view was advocating for what he thought was the best course of action for the United States of America. And I think that humanity is something that really stuck with me in everything that he did, whether it was his early countercultural stuff, such as AM, FM, and Class Clown, or whether later on he talked about American excess when he got into his very famous bit about uh, moving your stuff around and how your home is a place for stuff, and we have other stuff that has to go somewhere else. Um, No matter what he did, though, there was always this element of humanity And love really that came across and I've listened to a lot of interviews with George Carlin and a lot of interviews with comedians who were influenced by George Carlin and one thing they have in common is this idea that uh, George Carlin was a very very uh, human guy he was a mensch he was kind to other professionals in a kind of a Uh, in an atmosphere where professionals weren't always kind to one another. And that really is um, what drew me to George Carlin is kind of that feeling of, that underlying feeling of humanity and deep love for America and um, that I think really made Carlin unique. In addition to his keenly observed uh, critiques of all things, it was that kindness underlying everything he did that I think was really very sweet. Although he did certainly have a reputation uh, from one time or another to uh, kind of being uh, a little ornery or perhaps uh, a Um He had some issues in Vegas, and uh, but nonetheless, um, he struck me as a very human guy, uh, albeit one with an incredible wit and uh, comedic sensibility. Topic number two, George Carlin was the grandson of Irish immigrants, and they came to this country just like uh, my grandfather came, my great-grandparents came to this country uh, on a ship from somewhere, in his case, uh, Ireland, in my case, Kiev, uh, and other parts of Eastern Europe, but... They came to America looking for something, looking for a better life, hardly a surprise. And this leads me to talk about one of the teachings that I focus upon frequently. The United States of America has been the promised land for Jews. And as we approach Passover and we talk about, recount the story of the exodus from Egypt, which took us from slavery to the promised land, I think it's important, especially at this moment in American history, that we bear in mind that America, since its birth, and really before, has been the promised land for Jews, without question, including the state of Israel. How did that come to be and why is that the case is for to be explored in more detail later. But at the moment, what's important to say is that Jews were welcomed here from the time they set foot in what was then New Amsterdam and uh, where Peter Stuyvesant, Stuyvesant, the governor of New Amsterdam, threatened to make the Jews return to where they came from. In this case, it was uh, uh, Portugal and Spain and uh, more appropriately even for that in uh, Brazil. And he was denied Uh, And there's correspondence to this effect that exists to this day where we can see that um, the owners of the Dutch West Indies Company told Stuyvesant to allow the Jews to stay uh, in the New World. And although that particular episode did not ultimately result in the complete founding of the Jewish community, that was deferred a little bit. Um, that really was the beginning of the Jewish presence in North America, and since that time when what was then the government, it was a business that was colonizing the what is now the United States. Since that moment, Jews have found great protection in the United States of America by virtue of what is now our government, and um, Jews have prospered in ways that were unthinkable to our ancestors and forebearers, and It is really only in America that Jews find the ability to practice their religion or not according to the dictates of conscience and where Jews of any part of the religious stream are embraced uh, and allowed to pursue whatever it is they wish to pursue. And this idea of America as the promised land really has buttressed everything about the American Jewish community um, from its earliest beginnings. And it's something that we need to understand and appreciate as we find America at a difficult time. The reason Jews are so invested in saving America and the reason that Jews are so committed to saving America, although we may not agree on the details, is that America has been the promised land for our people. And we can choose to not be Jewish at all. We can choose to totally distance ourselves from the community, or we can choose to be as invested in the community as we wish to be. But in either case, we can do that in America with the protection of the national government and the federal government. And the reason I want to emphasize that particular piece at the moment is because it was true, especially at the beginning of this country's history, that different states had different attitudes toward Jews. Some states were founded primarily, for example, in the case of Maryland as a Catholic state. Other states, in the case of Pennsylvania, were founded as a Quaker state. But there was no single state that was founded as a Jewish state. And in some cases, until the 19, well into the 19th century, states had religious tests or religious oaths of office that they were required to keep or take if you wanted to hold... Elected office. Although it has been the case that Jews have uniformly embraced the United States as the Promised Land, it has by no means been the case that Jews are have been united about what the Promised Land means. Jews did fight in the Revolutionary War on the right side, which is a positive thing, but. When it came to the Civil War, there were Jews who fought for the Confederacy, notably Judah Benjamin, who was the Attorney General of the Confederate States. Um, in fact, my first student pulpit as a second-year student at the Hebrew Union College was in Natchez, Mississippi, uh, which was an eye-opening experience for me as somebody who was 28 or 29 and um, going to the South for the first time in my life, really, leaving Florida aside. And to see the Jewish community in Natchez, they had a magnificent synagogue that could accommodate five or 700 people built in the Byzantine model, the Moorish model, actually. Uh, it was a wonderful thing. Um, but some of those folks uh, were descendants of people who lived in Natchez before the Civil War and uh, were themselves the sons and daughters of slave owners. And even as Jews were serving in the Confederacy, Jews found themselves besieged in the North for being secessionists and abolitionists, or no matter which side of the debate they were on, there were people who were blaming the Jews, not an unusual posture for many people. But the Jewish community grew and thrived despite this, and the main reason for this was completely the protections afforded to Jews by the federal government. Even during the Civil War, when Ulysses Grant issued an edict essentially kicking Jews out of the South, which was later overruled by Abraham Lincoln, Jews still maintained their commitment to, to the United States of America. And that never changed. No matter where Jews have been on the political spectrum, Jews have just been committed to the United States. Sometimes it's been for ill, and sometimes it's been for good. Most times it's been for good. Notably during World War II, where the Jewish belief and the feeling of the Jewish community was so united behind Franklin Roosevelt that most in the Jewish community were unable to understand that Roosevelt wasn't really attuned to the needs of the Jewish community at that crucial time. It's no real secret that Jews supported Franklin Roosevelt to the extent anything can be 100%, it was close to 100%, well over 75% frequently, and it's no great secret that the coalition of Jews and other minorities that was forged during the era of Franklin Roosevelt essentially voted and supported the democrat voted for and supported the democratic party up until 1980 with the election of Ronald Reagan and that was the that was a turning point in terms of Jews voting and in terms of the Jewish coalition coming apart what was it that makes Jews so committed to the United States? And that really is the question before us. And I think if I had to put my finger on one single thing, it is this. Only in the United States have Jews been afforded the legal protection of the highest authority in the land, in the case of the United States. That's the federal government and Largely the federal court system, because the state court system has not always enforced the rights of Jews and other minorities. But it's that unique thing which has never been true before in Jewish history. Prior to the United States in Jewish history, Jews have always been subject to the whim of largely an autocratic ruler. They've lived in autocracies and dictatorships and monarchies and uh, all sorts of conditions which did not help the Jews unless it was useful for the ruling party to help the Jews. So, in the Golden Age of Spain, when it was convenient for whoever was in charge of Spain at the moment to be nice to the Jews, they were nice to the Jews. And as soon as it became inconvenient, they ceased to be nice to the Jews. Here in the United States, the Jews have always had recourse through a legal system, through a legislative process that they are entitled to participate in, and through the court system, ultimately. And this is really what has made the difference for the Jewish community here in this country. And that is what should be celebrated. It's our faith that the United States of America, as an entity, will protect the interest of Jews, And that's also why Jews have been largely supportive of the rights of other minorities because Jews largely recognize that when the rights of other minorities are protected, the rights of Jews are also protected. But what has been true in virtually every other place that Jews have lived is also true in the United States. And we hear hints of this coming true again during this moment of COVID-19, which is to say when things don't go well, When the United States is experiencing times of economic downturn, when social unrest begins to increase, when things are not stable, when the economy isn't going as well as we would want it to go, these are the conditions that are ripe for anti-Semitism to raise its head and to poke around and to see if the coast is clear and in some cases, to come out, as we've seen in the past several years, and I fear, as we might see during the pandemic we're confronting at the moment. You can find in the dark places on the Internet already evidence that this is happening, that somehow this is some bizarre, crazy, wild Jewish conspiracy, uh, which of course is preposterous, Um, as everyone should know. If only Jews had the power that was attributed to them, do people really think we would remain as we are, which is a small minority? Of course it wouldn't be true. We should only be so fortunate to have the power that our enemies attribute to us. But we do learn from history, the history of our own people, the lived experience of Jews throughout the ages and through the great sacred traditions and texts of our people. That ultimately, the core Jewish experience is that we will prevail. And if there's anything we need to know at this moment, if there's anything we can embrace at this moment, if there's one idea in all of Judaism that I'd want you to take away at this time, one week before Passover, it is the idea that ultimately, Jews will prevail and we as a people as Americans, will prevail. I think this is ultimately what George Carlin felt in his heart of hearts, that in the end, as difficult as it is, as painful as it might be, America would do the right thing. And I think that's the idea that Jews hold out as well, that the promise of America is fulfilled. It may be a difficult path, and it may not be the straightest path, but ultimately... It is the path that will lead us to the promised land. I thank you for listening to Radio Free Rabbi. Uh, I want to say thank you to George Carlin for inspiring uh, me and uh, helping me have a few laughs along the way. I hope everybody will tune in to episodes of our podcast, Radio Free Rabbi, which broadcasts to you from Los Angeles, California. I'm Josh Aaronson, the Senior Rabbi of Temple Judea in Tarzana. Thank you for listening. Written by Rabbi Joshua Aronson Produced and engineered by Dan Leonard Thank you for listening